Welcome, Welcome to, to the Better, Better Call Daddy Show. This is Big Daddy. Oh my God, that's hysterical. More stories you are not going to believe. And advice that you didn't know that you needed. Five stars. Five and a half stars. We're creating a legacy one call at a time. Here comes my daddy. Your problem is, is that you like me. My dad is my hero. He'll always be there to take your call, and you'll never be in too much trouble if your dad is around. Oh, boy. Hey, hey, I think I'm a pretty cool dude. Better call daddy. The safe space for controversy. This is your host, Rena Friedman-Watts. No, this is your host, Celia Watts. More inspirational stories, more daddy drama, and more laughs. Hey, a lot of these things, I don't know where you're getting them from. It sounds like they're coming from when I look in the mirrors. Damn the public. Damn the public. (laughs) Imagine going to school, picking the teachers you want, the courses you want, and designing the life you want. James Quandall is doing that. He's an entrepreneur, he's a performance coach, and he's a podcaster. James, welcome. Hello, hello. Hi. I got to turn down the volume. (laughs) Oh, yeah, you got to be careful with me. I can uh, get kind of excited. I love it. Wow. Okay. Good thing I had my coffee. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) This is exciting because I've been listening to you all morning. I feel bad for you. You got to listen to me for another hour or two hours now. I uh, I don't know how I feel about that for you. (laughs) I know we're doing a back to backer, which you said you've never done before. No, I have not. I'm really grateful that you were willing to come on my show and I just listened to an episode, maybe your most recent episode. I think it was with Jordan. Correct me if I'm wrong. Jordan Mendoza. And I loved that episode. He is something else. That was a really cool episode. Aw, thank you. What did you love about it? I think that he has just such a unique perspective. And I love that he realized that he maybe wasn't bringing his most authentic self to the world. And he was bringing part of himself like, hey, I'm this business guru. I have this expertise, but I also break dance and do rapping and all this other stuff on the side. And hey, here's me with all of that. And you can take all of me or I don't really care. And that was really big for me because my life feels segmented oftentimes where I've got this podcast, I've got these couple businesses, I've got these friends I play chess with, I've got these people at the flight school, like, I have all these like different groups, there's not always like this connection between all of it. And so it was making me think a little bit, and I'm still processing all of this, if I'm being completely authentic at all times with all of myself, or if I'm completely segmenting all the time and showing different faces. So I'm, I'm just kind of working through it. I love that reflection. Wow, that's so good. Yesterday, I was even thinking to myself, like, do I genuinely let people know how I feel? And how often do I do that? And is that even appropriate? <laughs> well, first of all, how are you feeling today? <laughs> well, you know, this morning, my three-year-old wanted to get in the stroller and walk to school. And I actually had the time to do that. Like, usually I'm like, running a little late and I just need to like put them in the car seat and drop them off. But I actually had the time today. I didn't have anything rushed. I like planned my schedule well where I had a little window and he hopped in his stroller and I put his shoes on in the stroller and I walked him there and I enjoyed the beautiful weather and I enjoyed the fresh air. And I was like, you know what, even if it's just a 20 minute walk, like I need that. So I would say that improved my mood. (laughs) 
that sounds great to me. And based on your facial expression, I would say it worked. And so my thought is, is how can you reproduce that more often and plan that, hey, this gives me so much joy and my three-year-old loves it so much too. And it's great for my body. How can I program more of that into my life? And yeah, that's pretty neat. I like that. I I am the same way. I don't always... I feel so much better in the mornings that I get outside and I get a walk in early, even if it's seven minutes and or five minutes, just around the block, just not waking up and sitting on the couch and drinking my water and my coffee and then waiting for the Wi-Fi to turn on and going on social media. And those are like how I fail the morning. When I get outside and take like a walk and do anything beyond that, it's like a win of a morning. (laughs) Yeah, it's amazing how even, you know, 20 minutes, 10 minutes, seven minutes, if you do that a couple times a day, what that can do. And it mixes things up because I don't normally do that. And yeah, I have been feeling a little bit bummed like that I haven't been getting my workout in. But your workout doesn't have to be on the treadmill. Your workout doesn't have to be your five by five. Your workout doesn't have to be Orange Theory. Like it literally can be, oh, well, I could walk him 20 minutes to school and I could walk 20 minutes there and 20 minutes back and do that twice because I could surprise him with the stroller on the other way around too. That's fantastic. And there's so many additional benefits (laughs) to being outside working out versus inside with these fluorescent lights being baked in all these Wi-Fi signals and cell phone signals and actually getting the fresh air, feet on the pavement, and the sunshine on your body. It does so much for us, way more than we realize. You know what, too? Like, I've been meditating with my baby before I go to bed because otherwise he wants me to sing him 20 songs and I'm, like, a little bit exhausted. And so I was like, you know, let's, let's find, like, some different meditations on YouTube. And he's gotten really into this fish one that like the fish swim around and the turtle flaps its wings. And, you know, he's named each fish. He's like, there's the mommy fish. There's the daddy fish. There's the rabbi fish. (laughs) It's like counting, it's counting sheep, but in our 21st century. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And it honestly does the bedtime routine for me because, you know, first I start off and I do let him look at the blue light and like, look at the calming pictures and whatnot. But then eventually he's like, okay, flip your phone. Now let's just listen to the music together. Then he starts kind of like, honestly telling me about his day and his own little baby speak. That's so cute. There was a podcast. James Altucher actually had this woman on as a guest and she created this kind of sleep meditation podcast. And it was like a short podcast episode. And it was just a story that had no rhyme or reason and no direction. And it was just like basic everyday stuff, like taking a walk through town and then you can smell the bread baking at the bakery and you look up and you see someone's window open and they're hanging clothes inside their house and there's music playing. What's the music? Oh, it's some jazz. And it like just goes through this and you're gone, like you're to sleep. And (laughs) it's like really neat. And I actually started kind of trying to just create my own versions of that after hearing that. So if I'm having a hard time falling asleep, which is very uncommon, I I fall asleep pretty well most times, I will do that in my head. I'll make up some story. I'll go to some city I know pretty well and pretend like I'm walking around and what am I seeing? What am I hearing? What am I smelling? What am I feeling? And out, like a light every time. It's kind of like a trick because it's, I think scientifically, and I don't know this at all, but I think it's just more like lulling yourself into that dream state, into those delta brain waves. Because I like, you ever been laying in bed and you feel 
like you're dreaming, but you're not dreaming yet. You're still thinking and your thoughts start to kind of take over. And it's kind of mimicking that idea. I love that. That's so interesting. Yeah. So how like can you really tell a story like that? All of your five senses. <laughs> and not having like a point. There's no solution here. There's no problem you have to solve. We aren't actually going anywhere. We're not going to arrive at any destination. It's just like being present and enjoying where we are. And then you're asleep. And I think that's probably for me when I can't sleep. It's usually because I have all these projects I'm working on with deadlines. I have all these to-do list items in my head. If I would just take out a piece of paper, capture them, and then let my brain just have this chance to have nothing for a short period, I would probably fall right to sleep. You know, that's so funny because I listen to a lot of podcasts to prepare for interviews. And when I'm not preparing for an interview and I don't have to listen to the podcast on double speed and I can just not have an agenda and take in the information, (laughs) I enjoy it so much more. Like there is an honest difference in listening to a podcast at regular speed versus double speed versus listening to it when you're running on the treadmill. Like when you can just go on a drive and listen to it for enjoyment purposes. And then you don't feel guilty if you missed five minutes because you were like in space in your mind somewhere. You're like, what did they just say? Ah, it doesn't really matter. I'll just kind of keep going. I mimic that too. So I read a lot. Sometimes I'm reading like five or six books at a time just based on what's interesting me in that exact moment. And sometimes I'm like, I pick them up. I pick up the one and I read a couple pages. I'm like, nope, not this one. I pick up the next one and I'm like, no, not this one either. And I go through all six books. I'm like, I don't want to read any of these today. What's going on? And like, they're all varied interests. Like I have wide interests. So there, there's business, there's philosophy, religion, there's uh, science, there's all these different things. Like none of these are my jam right now. And I'm like, you know what? That means I need fiction today. And so I'll pull out some mystery or detective or romance or something like that. And it relights my interest in reading again and gives me a break. So I was feeling this exact thing on Friday, just a couple days ago, and I couldn't get any book. I had this, all these books on my bookshelf. I was like, what do I want? And I was like, you know what? Maybe this is a chance for me to finally read The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings because I've never read it and so many people have recommended it to me. And so I got The Hobbit, sat down, and I finished it by the next day. And then I was like, all right, I clearly need this right now. And I started the Lord of the Rings. And now I'm almost done with that too. And it's been like, I don't know, four days or whatever. And I haven't been able to put them down. And I'm like, this is me listening to my body, letting it go where it wants to go and not trying to force it into, hey, I got to read this nonfiction book for this purpose. Like it needed the break. I love that. I've been reading fiction and murder mysteries lately. So oh, really? Well, who do you like? That. Yeah, I was wondering if you've heard of Shari Lapina. Mm-mm. Yeah, I think she wrote The Couple Next Door. And I go back and forth, too, because I read them out of order. But I had read that one a while ago. And then when I was on vacation recently, literally in one of those book bins, I found another one and I read it literally like in two days. It was so good. And then I came back home and I found The Couple Next Door. My daughter's like, hey, will you read me that? <laughs> so I just started rereading it. And it's funny, if you don't read something for a couple of years, like I forgot who did it yeah isn't that something because usually when i'm reading those books i blow through them it's like i I read it in like one sitting or something i could probably pick up that book again and i wouldn't even remember what happened you're right it is like that that's that's true my favorite in that genre is robert b parker and he actually got more famous recently 
because he does the Spencer novels and Netflix released a Spencer series. So that got kind of popular. And I think Mark Wahlberg was the star. And I watched half of the first episode. I'm like, nope, not like the book. And I didn't watch any more. But it was so amazing of a story and so neat. And it, it goes for years and years and years. It's like 20 or 30 years elapse in real life while he's writing these books. So he's writing it in Boston where he was living. And Boston's like changing as you're reading the books year by year. And it's just really cool how he made you really feel like you were there in Boston as the city changed. So that's one of my favorites. My other favorite is the Wallander series. And I think that recently came out with a some kind of show on Netflix too. So I'm not alone in my love of this, this genre. <laughs> Have you ever been so in love with an author that you've reached out to them to interview them yet? Not of fiction, but for nonfiction, that's like my number one source for guests for my podcast. So I read the book and like you said, with studying the book, I'm versus like listening to the podcast and studying it. I'm folding over pages, writing questions and highlighting and circling and doing all this stuff as I'm going through it. And I'm like, okay, I've got a lot more questions here. I need to get them answered. And so I'll reach out to the author and I'll be like, hey, I absolutely loved your book. I'd love to chat with you more about it. Are you down? That's sort of how I got introduced to James Altucher. And that's how my most recent guest on my podcast, Bill Perkins, I read his book, which was actually a recommendation from an, another guest of mine. And they're like, oh, you need to read this book, Die With Zero. I read the book, Die With Zero. And I was like 50 pages in, I go, this is a way of thinking I've never seen before. After reading hundreds of books and listening to all these podcasts, I've never heard anyone think like this before. I need to find this guy. And I just sent him a tweet and I was like, hey, I'd love to have you come on my show. And then he's like, followed. And so he followed me on Twitter. I sent him a DM and he was on the show. And I love that. That's like the number one best part of having a podcast is like, I can talk to authors I would never typically talk to and get to ask them the questions that I've been dying to have answered when I'm reading the book. And they just don't get answered any other way. I need to listen to that one. I think there's this guy I just recently interviewed, Nick of Book Thinkers. Hmm. He has one of the largest Instagram accounts of nonfiction books, and he writes his notes on each book that he reads. And now authors obviously are like paying him to even get on there. And he's creating video content with them and stuff like that. But I think he also just read that one. And he talked about what stuck with him was the notion of all these people who are savers. And I know you and your wife are savers, but like dying with the millions, right? And his whole notion was let's flip that on its head and actually spend it now and enjoy your life when you can make these memories. And that really got me thinking, cause I'm like, I'm getting ready to move to Texas, which is gonna be a big memory for my four kids, you know? When you do things when you're young, you do remember them more. You have that memory the rest of your life versus, you know, doing that thing when you're in your 60s. How long are you going to remember it? You're lucky if you remember it for 10 years. <laughs> you really understand the concept of his book well already. You described it perfectly. And more, actually, he calls that memory dividend. So you do it when you're young. You have your entire life to pull from that dividend, just like with stocks and enjoy that experience over and over again. If you wait till you're 60, first of all, you won't have as long, just biologically, to enjoy that experience from the memory bank, but you also may not even be able to enjoy that trip to the same level as how you could when you were 20, when you could climb that mountain or walk up those steps 
or not need a bus to take you there. Like you could walk, like you might not be able to get the same value out of it later in life. And his whole point was most of us don't have millions and millions of dollars like Bill Perkins. We're working for our paycheck every single week. And if we die and we have 50,000, 100,000, whatever in the bank that we didn't spend or give away or put to some charity or put to some other use, those were hours, weeks, months, years we were working at that job that we didn't have to. And that's the biggest waste is because if you aren't working, you could be doing the things that you love outside of work, like reading, podcasting, and going on walks and exploring and doing all this other stuff. It's not even about the money as much as the time that you spent to make this money, which you never saw any value in. Because his point is money has absolutely zero value except for what you can get with it. So if you just have money but didn't get anything with it, it has zero value. Oh, I totally agree with that. And I feel like that's a good transition into your story because you have now left working for other people. Yeah, so that was hard. And I still question all the time and wonder if I should go back. Like, it's really hard to, it's almost like in the matrix. Like, it's like, should I go back into the matrix where it's easy? People understand what I do. And it's just like, everyone else is doing that. So being out here in my own little world, self-employed, trying to create this own stuff is much more stressful and difficult. So I wonder about it all the time, but I'm so grateful that I took the chance because now I realize it was 2016, the fall that I left my job at Best Buy where I was there almost 10 years as a manager and had no plan actually. I didn't have a job lined up, didn't even know what my business was gonna be. I didn't know what my purpose in life was. I just knew that I didn't wanna be doing that for 40 more years. And so I had this realization, if I didn't wanna do that for 40 more years, why should I do it for four more years? Like I need to go find out what that next thing is. And I'm probably not gonna find that out when I've got this cushy job with good benefits. I take a few vacations a year, I've got a cool car and a nice apartment. Like there's not gonna be any motivation to go and do that. And I am like, you said I was a saver. Like that's an understatement. I am like zero risk kind of person. Like I need to calculate it out exactly. So this was completely unlike me to do something like this. Like the only reason I can think of now, like, cause it's so easy to look back. It was six years ago. It's like, okay, how on earth did I do that? I don't think I would do that again. Like how on earth did I do that? And I think it was because I knew deep down if I failed, first of all, I had a year's worth of savings. So I had a year cushion where I'm like, I have a year to figure out how to make income again. We're going to live frugally and figure it out. i kind of knew though, if I failed, in a year and I spent all that money, I could just go back and work in retail again. There's retailers everywhere. Like my skills aren't gonna tarnish in a year, but what's the upside? The upside was infinite. What if I succeed and now I have this flexibility and this freedom and I create some kind of business that I can work from anywhere in the world and I'm my own boss and I can say yes to what I wanna say yes to and no to what I don't want to. There was infinite upside and very little downside. So maybe I did do the risk assessment, but man, just thinking about it, I'm like, that's uncharacteristic. Like, I can't believe I literally walked, like I had to put it on my iPhone calendar. This date, I think it was like July 15th or something, 2016. It's like, this is quitting day. That was on my calendar. And I was like moving up the ladder. I was like really good at that job. It was a natural fit for me. Like I actually really liked it. And I'm like, okay, here's quitting day. I go into work and I'm like, I'm gonna quit on quitting. Like, I'm not gonna be able to do this. Like, I'm gonna give up. Like, I'm too nervous. I was like sick to my stomach. I was like shaking. I was sweating. I'm kind of like feeling like that just thinking about it. 
And I would just, I'm like, okay, I got to pull the mandate off. I went into my boss's office. I was like, John, before you leave today, you and I have to have a very important talk. I had to like put the process in motion or I was going to chicken out. And so he's like, okay. And so that was even worse. Now I was like, oh, I have to do this now. I'm like, there's no way out. Like I have to. And eventually he called me to the office and he's like, James, have a seat. And I have a seat. And I'm like, I just went right to it. John, I have to put in my two weeks notice. Like, he's like, where are you going to go? What are you doing? He's like, who are you going to work for? I'm like, oh, no one. Like, I'm just quitting. I'm going to go figure it out. I'm probably going to start a company. I thought he was going to be super judgmental and be like, you're absolutely crazy. Like, why would you do this? Instead, he was amazing. He's like, James, you're going to do it very well. I can see it. He goes, maybe someday I'll be able to come and work for you. And he's like, we're going to make sure you get all your vacation time paid out. And we'll do this and that. And like, they like took care of me. I had this extra one runway I wasn't kind of counting on. I was kind of thinking I would lose some of that. And they let me use like my vacation time before they terminated me because it was like PTO. I wouldn't have gotten that money any other way. So I got like four extra weeks of pay I wasn't counting on. He was really encouraging. It was like so amazing. I haven't looked back since, except just when I'm thinking about this and in, in these scenarios of like, wow, I can't believe I did that. <laughs> First of all, like God bless people like that and bosses like that, that actually like want you to do better and are like, hey, maybe one day I'll come work for you because those people are so rare. <laughs> yeah. Like, please, whoever's listening to this, be more like that. That is so cool. But I also wonder, like, why didn't you decide to, like, work part-time and hustle part-time? Did you need to just be all in? I am all in on whatever I'm doing. I couldn't imagine being able to do the job part-time and not give double full-time energy to it. I've learned that even in my self-employed world, like these small little gigs I say yes to, where it's like, oh, it's only two hours a week and the pay's okay. I end up working 20 hours a week for them, getting paid two hours, and my whole heart is given to it. I can't like give an equal share of time and heart. Like I always put so much of my soul into what I do. And so I think I deep down knew like I had to just go and do it or I would never do it. And you know what you said about that boss being so kind? You are right because... He probably could have talked me out of it if he tried. Like I was that fragile at that point. Like I knew I wanted to do it. I did the hard part of, of doing it. But if he would have talked me out of it, it might have worked. I don't really know. He might have been able to talk me out of it, truthfully. And then I would still be there right now, today. And it would be okay. Like that was a great job. Like I don't want to discourage anyone from work like that. Like I loved it. I learned so many skills there and gifts that I'm still using today. But man, I'm so glad he kind of ushered me on to my next adventure and encouraged me because I needed it right then. Yeah, I would love to know what kind of skills and gifts you got from working, what, 20 years of retail? Yeah, so it was almost 20 years and I started when I was 14 years old. And I remember specifically sitting in a Mexican restaurant with my family and my sister was working at this hockey stadium in the concession stands. And I was like, I want to work there so bad. It'd be the coolest job in the world. Like. I'll give you half of my pay if you just help me get a job there. And she helped me get a job there. So I was 14 years old and working at the hockey stadium, meeting professional hockey players, getting to see every single game from the concession stand while it was happening. 
and loved it and learned so many skills at a young age that I continue to use today. Like at that point, I was kind of shy. Like I didn't, wasn't charismatic. I wasn't really a people person. I was a video gamer. I was a computer programmer. I like to keep to myself. And I had just a small group of friends. But working in retail taught me to connect with people. Like if I hadn't done that, I would not be a podcaster. I would not be talking with you right now. But actually working in retail taught me how to connect with people and how to actually hear what they're saying. It taught me to listen because when you are selling someone something, you can't do it unless you actually understand who they are, what their needs are, and you actually listen. If you don't, you just say, oh, you need computer A, B, C, and D. And they're like, well, that's like nowhere near what I need. And they're like, no, 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 trust me. I know I work here. Like, this is what you need. And they go, I'm going to go home and think about it and they never come back again. And the reverse of that is, is you're like, hey customer, I wanna know who you are and what makes you tick. What do you like to do? Tell me about your family. Tell me about your last vacation. What do you do for a living? Like, what do you love to do? And you're not even talking about computers or TVs or appliances. You're just talking about them and writing it down or, or putting it in your head or whatever. 45 minutes go by and you're like, oh, we should probably talk about products. Based on what you just told me about your life, these are the only two that really meet that like this one and this one, and here's why, here's the benefits, here's the advantages, and here's the features based on what you told me, which one can I wrap up for you so we can get you out of here? I just spent an hour talking with you, I'm so sorry. And like, you close the sale like that every single time because nobody, I'm gonna tell you, nobody, not nobody, but very few people are actually listening when you're talking and actually aren't just trying to say what they wanna say. Like, it's so uncommon to be a great listener and you learn that in retail if you are actually successful at it. But there's so many other skills and gifts that I learned there. It's fascinating. I wrote a, a blog post once and I was like, I had this thing I was all about at one point. I'm like, quit hiring Harvard MBAs and hire retail managers instead. And I was like, here's all the things you learn as a retail manager. <laughs> I'm like, but I always felt like people were looking down on me. Like, oh, you're a retail manager. Like you're a college dropout. Like, but then I learned all these skills of running a $25 million business that have been so helpful in my life now. Are you a college dropout? I am twice. Talk about yeah. that. I tried it once for one semester, paid cash. It was a community college. And I was like, ah, at this point, I was at a clothing store now as a manager, 18 years old or whatever. I was like, okay, I've got this job. I'm making this money, learning these things, 401k benefits. And I have college here and I'm learning these things here that I've already been doing since I was 14 years old and I was going to business school. I was like, ah, I just need this degree. You know, that company I was working for, I couldn't get promoted any further unless I got a college degree. Like they were really wonky like that. Like I was training new managers who had college degrees, like had just graduated, but they wouldn't give me a job like that unless I had a college degree. It was a very strange system. So I was like, I need to go get this college degree. And I was like halfway through the first semester, I was like, nope. And I just stopped going and I, and I had paid cash. I was like, expensive lesson and just move on, go about my life. And then a few years later, I was like, ah, am I like missing out? I'd moved on to Best Buy at that point. I left the clothing store, worked at Best Buy, I was moving up the ranks at Best Buy too. I was like, man, you know, Best Buy will actually pay for some of this now. So like some of the cost is even gone. And so I tried it again. And I'm like, why am I learning like Spanish 101 and English 101 here? Like, I just can't understand why I need this right now. And I dropped out again, didn't even finish that semester either. And I was like, I'm not going back this time. And instead have just bought books and done courses and hired teachers or mentors for things I wanted to learn on my own. 
Yeah, I love that. I think that's amazing. And with me even looking into schools out of state for my kids and with the pandemic, I think that people are rethinking whether the traditional model works anymore. Mm -hmm. And I'm even like talking to people that are unparenting or that are homeschooling or that don't believe that sending your kids to college prep is even worth it. Where are you leaning towards? What are you thinking? Are you still I'm in the middle of it? I'm glad I have the summer to think about it because I want to talk to more people about it. I've tried the private school model with my kids for, I mean, my oldest is 14. You know, he's been in private school since he was three. I don't know. What does it cost? Like what's a private oh school cost per year? One of the ones for high school is 31000 a year. I'm like... So here's my point. Not to discourage private schools, public schools, or university. I think everyone has to do the math and look at the pros and cons. My challenge isn't, yes, everyone should go to college or no, nobody should go. Like I'm not in either of those camps. I just think everyone should question it and question why they think they need to college or go to college or why they think they don't need to. And not just assume... To be successful, you have to, because you don't. I'm living testament. I did not go. I dropped out twice, and I am successful in so many areas. And there's many other people like me. But my other thought is, okay, what could you as a parent with $20,000 a year that's going to a private school create at home for a, a student by hiring private teachers, buying private books, going to foreign countries for education instead of reading about it from a book? Like, that's a lot of money. If you've got more than one kid, it even adds up even further. You could create a, a learning experience that's second to none. And there's an author, Judy Arnell, and she wrote the book Unschooling to University. And it's not homeschooling. It's unschooling. It's a whole nother realm. It's kind of like homeschooling, but it's much more child driven to where if a kid shows not a lot of aptitude or interest at this time in math, you don't force math down their throat at that point. If instead they have an interest in computer programming, you give them all the access in the world to explore that avenue through books and tutors and computers and whatever else they need. And then when they realize at some point maybe, oh, I need to know math to get any further in this computer programming, they can devour seven years of math learning in one summer when they're actually interested in it and let a kid actually develop and unfold and nourish themselves in their own way, you're just setting them up for success and giving them the tools and the resources and the things that you, they need to be successful. And man, think of the outside the box thinking, which is one of the things that I think just interviewing so many successful people on my podcast, one of the traits they have in common is they think outside the box. Like they don't think like everybody else. They think how they want to think, even if it's different than everyone else and they're not afraid of it. And if you were designing a program like that, you're going to have kids that are definitely thinking outside the box. Did your parents encourage you in that way? No. I actually was that kid that had an obsession with computer programming, and I was pretty good at it. And I mean, and I'm talking at a young age, like nine years old, making software and, and computer programming. But that was all I wanted to do. I wanted to do that, and I wanted to play street hockey. Like, that was the only two things I cared about. Because of that, like, when I did something bad, like, computers were what were taken away from me. So I remember entire summers or half of school years where I didn't have access to a computer. So I wasn't able to explore that gift. It's like, oh, you got a bad grade in math. And so we're going to take away your computer. The thing that you love 
that you could go make a very nice living and a career with if you continue to develop. Just it just feels like a disconnect to me. Like and just removing the kid part of the conversation because you want your kids to be successful. This system has been shown to work many, many times. Like there's so many fruits of the traditional schooling system and so many things right with it. So let's just talk about adults for a second. Because like school's out of the picture now. Like life is so much better when you can just explore what you're interested in with no judgment and not do it because someone tells you you have to. Like if you read the books you love because you love them and you learn things that you love because you love them, like that's a good life. When did you start doing that? When I quit my job in 2016. <laughs> that was when it happened. Like truthfully, I really didn't read very much before then. And I got obsessed with reading books at that point, like finding my purpose and finding my identity and trying to find out who I was. And I read all those books, like, like finding out who you really are. And they were all garbage for me. It was because I already knew deep down who I was. I was ignoring it and I just wasn't doing anything. Like if you want to find out who you are, like you need to just take small steps in the direction towards things that interest you. And when you do that, you'll keep uncovering more interests. And one of the most wholesome ways that I try to encourage people to do that, it's like so much, it's so easy for them to think because they're like, oh, well, I don't really know what interests me. Like, I don't know what my hobbies are. Like, I don't know what my purpose are. And that's where I was at that point. I'm like, I'm unemployed now. I had a job and that was my identity. Now I have like no identity. Like, like it was worse. I'm like, I'm like unhappy now. And so I had to find it out. But what I encourage people now, because this is what worked for me, is remember what you liked to do when you were a kid, before there was judgment, before you were trying to keep up with the Joneses, when you just did what you liked to do naturally. And maybe that was dancing or playing music or climbing trees or playing chess or writing stories or drawing pictures, like whatever those things were, ask yourself, when is the last time you did those things? And for me, it had been a decade or longer for most of the things I loved or eat way longer than that. And I'm like, okay, well maybe went back then, maybe I knew naturally what I was supposed to be doing more than I know now as an adult. Cause now it's like the first thing is like, Oh, I want to be this. Well, how much does it pay? What kind of lifestyle those people have? Like you immediately start going there. And I can say that if you love something and you put everything into it, it doesn't matter what it is. If you get good at it, you'll get paid well, no matter what it is. It could be the weirdest thing in the world. You can see that on TikTok or Pinterest or Etsy or whatever, the weirdest things on the planet. People are making a living from them. So the money will be there if you follow your passions and your heart. And the key, the secret for me has been remembering what I liked to do when I was a kid. And what little things came to mind? What have you dredged up? Like I said about computer programming, like I loved being on the computer and trying to create systems. So now I have an Amazon marketing agency that does exactly that. I liked meeting people and talking with others and listening to stories. And so now I have a podcast and I loved spending time outside. Like I loved climbing trees. I loved games. So now I play chess and I play tennis and I take a lot of walks outside and I go on vacations and I just tried to figure out what I loved as a kid and reintroduce it in small pieces as an adult. And if it feels good, it probably is good. And so I kept following those breadcrumbs until I got somewhere really nice. Wow, I love that. Can we talk a little bit about your James Altucher story? Because I feel like in listening to you, one, your your voice is like 
are the same. <laughs> like they seriously remind me of each other. And two, like you guys have so much in common from like studying finance and computers and podcasting. And just, I feel like you guys have so much in common. It's actually all happy accidents, I would say. And I think that's why on the Make You in a Millionaire series, it, for me, always felt natural and easy. Like we just chatted, like we didn't have an objective. We didn't come with plans. It was just like, hey, we're gonna meet this day and we're gonna chat. And then like whatever came up, came up. And it always helped me. And I was always hoping that it was helping someone else out there too. Mostly because I was just being honest, like what I was struggling with and figuring it out with him live. Like that was completely unfiltered, unscripted. I wasn't worried about if I said I didn't love something, like was I gonna now lose clients because of it? Like I was just trying to be authentic. And the way I met James Altucher actually was when his book Skip the Line came out, I devoured it and I loved it. And so I wrote a blog post. I'm like, all right, here's my summary of Skip the Line, which that was a thing I commonly did. Like I'd read a book, I would highlight all the spots I liked, fold over the pages, and then I'd write a blog post describing it. And then I would send it to the author. I'd be like, hey, just so you know, I wrote this blog post about your book. I loved it. Just wanted you to, to know I'm out here promoting it. Thanks for what you're doing. And so for James, I'm like, okay, I'm going to review his book. And I had no intentions of like getting some kind of mentorship or anything. It was completely authentic. And I think that's the key with any of these reach outs. Like we talked about of authors coming on my podcast and stuff. It has to be authentic and real because people, these people, especially they see through it. I know firsthand these guys are getting thousands of emails a day of cold pitches they don't need any more opportunities from you. Like they've got a million of them. What they need is an authentic person, a friend, someone who really likes them. So I wrote the blog post about the book. I love the book authentically. And then at the bottom, I wrote like, cause his big thing was the 10 ideas. I'm like 10 ideas. James Altucher can sell a hundred thousand more copies of skip the line. And I like really worked on it. I thought really hard, like based on who he was, what his strengths were, what I saw him doing with the promotion of the book, what I didn't see him doing with the promotion of the book and wrote the 10 ideas down. And then I just sent it to him. I was like, here is the blog post. Here's the ideas. Take it for what it is. I hope you like it. Have a great day. And then it was like, got an email shortly after it was like, do you want to win one of these make you a millionaire mentorships that I'm offering? I'm like, uh, like seven seconds later. Yes. <laughs> like, where do I sign? <laughs> And then we got on a call and, and that was it. Like it, we just hit it off. And I've since wrote a piece of a lot of the, the things I've learned from James Altucher over the last year. And it's really just this outside the box thinking that I'm seeing in so many spaces with successful people and not being afraid to be different in your own unique way. And also not even being afraid to question what's normal and what's not normal. Like who, who defines what's normal? Normal is just what the average amount of people is doing, okay? So if you want to live an average life, do what's normal. You'll probably get an average life. If you want an exceptional life or you want something different or you feel in your heart that there's something more for you, well, you have to design and build a life that's not normal to get there. That's just math. Like, that's just how it works. So if you're feeling inside you that you were created for more than you're doing right now, use this as your call right now to like, start doing that you have to like we need you to do that we need millions of people who want to do normal things but we also need people who are trying to take us to the next level and think of new things and invent the future and create things that aren't there yet oh, that's so good it actually reminded me of your interview with christy Wright, where she talked about there's a difference between being courageous and confident 
And she felt like being courageous was really the key to her success. One of the things that she did to be courageous was give a speech, even though she had never done it before. She just said yes. And then now she's doing that. Like, this is my tendency. I'd be like, okay, I want to give a speech. Well, I need to spend 12 years, like, perfecting speaking. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and that was my issue with my the James Quandall Show podcast. Before I met James Altucher, I've been talking for, like, two or three years about wanting a podcast. I'm like, I want a podcast. What am I going to talk about? I don't really know. I just want one. James was like, oh, you want a podcast? Okay, let me bring two people on right now for you to interview on the spot. I'm like, What? no warning, no idea what I'm going to ask these guys. And they're both uber successful, amazing people, Bill Glazer and Dave Kirpin. I had to like ask them questions. And I was like, okay, well, I just did that. So why can't I, like, if I have a plan and talk to my friends, which is how I started my show, like that's going to be easy now. And then weeks later, the show was launched. So same thing with Christy. Like you could spend 12 years going to what's that group called man there's the like public speaking groups toastmasters that are toastmasters, toastmasters yeah. is great you could spend 12 years going there and learning all your skills or you could just like say yeah i know a lot about cars and how to fix them i'm gonna go to a, the local car enthusiast place and give them a free presentation and you're gonna go do that and i'm gonna go do it in two weeks and you're gonna put it on your calendar and then you go and do it or you go to your local library and you're like hey I know a lot about computers. I know a lot of your patrons don't know a lot about computers. Could I go do something on Saturdays once a month where I kind of like talk about some of the things that I've learned? They'd be like, yeah, please do. Your room would fill up and you'd be able to practice tomorrow. And I think that's what's super impressive about Christy is she's not afraid to just jump in and figure it out as she goes. She has enough confidence in herself and her gifts from God like that she will succeed if she just does it. I want more of that. So I try to hang out with people like that because it's not my natural tendency. Yeah. I also think that that's a great thing about having a podcast is that you can literally talk to people that have lived a completely different life than you work in completely different industries than you. And you can just be curious about their experience. Did you have Jerry Springer on your podcast? I did. Like, can you believe that? <laughs> like, I never would have imagined by creating my show that I would get to interview Jerry Springer, James Altucher, Robin Altucher, like you, just people that have been a part of my life and a part of my story. And by having a platform that they would agree to that. Isn't it insane that it in this day and world, like, yes, this is like being able to talk to the philosophers of the Greek nation. Like, I don't know any of their names. I, I should know more of their names. I know, so I can't say them, I guess. Socrates or Socrates or whatever. Yeah. It's like, you could talk to them and ask them any question you want and find out like what makes them really tick. Like you're getting to do that on your show with whoever you want. Only in this world right now has there ever been a time where we could do things like that. Hear from people like Elon Musk and Sarah Blakely and these amazing people. And podcasts are a format where... You, people can do that. So if there's someone that you like, you don't have to have a one on one mentorship with James Altucher, like I did to benefit from James Altucher's wisdom, listen to his podcast, listen to his podcast guests on other people's podcasts, read his books, read his blog posts, like these people are sharing this stuff in real time. And you can digest it and make it your own personal mentorship. It does not have to be a physical real one-on-one -on -one mentorship for you to benefit. And truthfully, James Altucher is probably not the right person to mentor you 
for where you are right now. John Lee Dumas, in his book, The, the Common Path to Uncommon Success, talks about your mentor should really be someone who is where you want to be in one year. Well, James Outcher is where I want to be in like 20 years. So he doesn't remember or wasn't where I was right now for a long time. So someone who's where I want to be in a year, they're going to really know the steps so much clearer and they're going to be able to help guide you there. So like, there's so many ways to get there. And I heard someone say something once it was, I loved it. Cause I've said before, I like, I want to be like, I want to be like Zig Ziglar. Like, I just love how inspirational he is and his, how he encourages people and helps people think differently and, and achieve all these things in life. So I'd be like, I'm going to be the next Zig Ziglar. And they're like, no, no, no. You don't want to be the next Zig Ziglar. You want to be the next, next Zig Ziglar. And that's the better way to think about success is not in quick fixes and shortcuts and overnight success, but long paths, slow victories and small victories over a longer period of time. In this time, day and age, you can pick anyone you want. Warren Buffett could be your mentor if you want. It can be anyone you want. And it's amazing. Yeah. How would you go about trying to get your next mentor? So in that book by Johnny Dumas, he outlined his recommendation and he basically said, so this is kind of what I do actually. So if I want to improve at chess, I could hire a grandmaster who's like a professional 2,500 rating player. Okay. I'm like a 1,500 rating player. I wouldn't be them in two lifetimes probably. So why don't I hire someone a little bit closer to where I am who I can maybe pay and that money I might actually be beneficial to them. So I think sometimes mentorshiping can be coaching instead and it can be someone that you're paying and making an investment which for me has always made me take it more seriously like if i'm putting money in i'm a gonna do what they say because i put money into it as a saver like if i put money like i watch where that goes and two like it it might help them out and they don't have to be that much further than you so if you want a podcast and like that's one of your dreams well don't go and try and get in touch with joe rogan to mentor you he's got other things he's doing right now. Go and pick someone who for two years has published an episode once or twice a week and loves it and is growing and be like, hey, I love your podcast. I've listened to almost every single episode. I would love if you could coach me or mentor me. I want to start a podcast and I want to learn how you did it. Could we set something up? I know if I got an email like that and probably if you got an email like that, you'd be like, let's meet. Like, when can I, I want to help you. Like, this is so sweet. And that's true in every single field, whether it be if you want to write a book, if you want to start a business, if you just want to figure out how to make an extra $500 a month so you can take a vacation this year. Like, whatever it is that you want to achieve, just take a baby step there and find someone who's doing it. And most of them are going to be super excited to help you. Like, I know I would. Definitely. I mean, even when people reach out for guesting opportunities, if they've told me that they listen to a couple episodes and then they give me a little feedback on one that they liked and why, I am much more apt to like have a conversation with them, right? How sad is that? That <laughs> to stand out, it's literally as easy as spending two hours listening to your show and then like saying, here's what I liked. Guys, the bar <laughs> is not that high to succeed. You just need to put in like a tiny bit of effort. Like no one is saying you have to listen to a hundred episodes and write copious amounts of notes. Like just be genuine and stop trying to use people to get ahead. And more so just like be part of their journey 
and be like, I love what you're doing. I love the energy you're giving off. I just want some of that for myself. However, I can get in a room with you more, I will do it. And you have that mindset and people are gonna be wanting to help you all the time. And I think actually your guest Jordan said the same thing. He's like, you just need to give and give and give with no expectation of getting anything back. It's like a trick. You gave with not, without expecting anything back and now you're getting all this stuff back. Like, it's like you can't even cheat it. Like, you're getting all this back and you were just trying to give. You're like, no, 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 no. Like, I just want to help you. Like, I don't want anything back. And they're like, no, no, no. I want to give you this lead. I want to give you this business. Like, I want to give. It's like a, a cheat system to life. And uh, he was dead on with that. It's so true. It's so crazy. And I've had the opportunity to meet a lot of successful people. They just want friendships too. Like they just want appreciation too. Like if anything from the people I've spent time with that are household names and New York Times bestselling authors and multimillionaires and all these trappings that we all consider successful, they need love more. Like they need it so bad. Like that's why they keep going out there and doing this because they have this void in their heart. And so if you can connect with them as a human to a human and not as like a, a fanboy or a fangirl and like creepy stalker, like there's a difference, then like they're gonna be for it if you can get through their gatekeepers and all of that. And so that's why sometimes it's don't go after Joe Rogan, like who's someone closer to where you wanna be? And then in 10 years, Joe Rogan could be your partner. Like I get skipped the line and I, I love that phrase. Like I skip the line all the time, but the way to skip the line is like knowing the path you need to take tomorrow not the path you need to take 10 years from now. I love that. Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about how you're helping some of the authors right now that you work with? Because I feel like there are so many authors during this pandemic. And like, I've even been contacted by people that want more publicity for their books. Is that something that you help with? So for a while I did. And I realized helping a lot of authors with, with their books that there's like a lot of smaller steps that most of them need to take first before they really need a professional. And it's smaller steps like asking their friends and family to buy the book and like asking their friends and family to leave a review and going to a bookstore in their local town and saying, hey, I'm a local author. Would you be willing to sell this here? Would you be willing to let me do an autograph session here and read parts of the book? Like there's so many things that they can do for free because a lot of times authors that are just starting out don't have a lot of extra capital to hire a professional to help them market the book. And they need to think on a budget there's so many ways that they can do that. Interesting. So have you shifted some of your business? Yeah, the book business is kind of not doing that very much anymore, just like on a case by case basis for some, mm -hmm. some friends. The majority, like my primary business right now is helping natural products brands sell more products on Amazon. So and that's a lot of what we talked about on the James Altucher show too. Since my wife, actually, you when you messaged me yesterday, like, oh, your wife works in a nursing home. She actually quit in August last year and came home and has been helping me with the businesses. And it was then when we were working together, we realized the Amazon business, we created so much more value for our customers. And so we've been really leaning into that and, and trying to grow that. Amazing. And how do people find you with that business? I have a website. It's just cravenstreet.com, cravenst.com. But really, if, if anything that I'm saying is resonating with someone who's listening, they can find me on Twitter or Instagram at James Quandall. And my last name is spelled Q-U-A-N-D-A-H-L. Email me and reach out. Like, I'd love to help you. And I'm available to help people because what I've done 
although it's strange and it's different, wasn't really that difficult, right? It was just believing in myself and taking a chance and following my curiosities and being brave. Like you said, like the, I think I even told Christy, like, hey, your next book should be like Courageous Confidence or something. She's like, oh, I love that. I'm going to write that down. And I saw her a little bit later and she's like, I, re that, I remember that conversation. Like it still stuck with her. That, that conversation. But if you have confidence in yourself and you should, then you need to design a life of your dreams. Like what would that look like? Write it down on paper and start working towards it. Even if it's tiny and barely noticeable today, two years from now, you'll be so grateful that your life is closer to where you want it to be. And that's sort of what I encourage people to do. I love that. Is there anything that you'd like to ask my dad? He's so wise. Like it's amazing how do I be more like him? I guess is my question. Like Ooh. I, if I want to be the next, next Zig Ziglar, how do I take these stories and help people with them? That's what I'm really trying to learn more of. It has never been my gift, like the storytelling. And I really feel like he's a great storyteller. Aww. No, I'm just so grateful to get the chat and I've been enjoying your show and the format. And I just can't wait to your daddy's wisdom on my life. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, he's definitely going to love this conversation. Now, let's switch it over to Grandpa. Okay, well, James, at the end of the interview with uh, Rena, you want to know how you continue to gain wisdom. And it's really following a lot of the things that you're already doing, that you have to be open-minded to listen to other people and to be able to have experiences that are live and being able to have an open mind to progress and to be able to continue to learn. What's ironic is that you went to college a couple times in between working and doing things that you really liked to do when you were young and wanted to pursue that later on. But really, you found the formula is that when you go to college, the main thing that you learn in college, unless you're studying and studying just one specific area, is that you really learn how to learn. You learn how to communicate. You learn how to listen to others. You learn how to brainstorm with other students. You learn how to get tutored. You learn how to uh, have a discussion with uh, your professor. And sometimes he even has an assistant that works and helps students. You learn how to use the library. You learn how to read. You learn how to do so many things, but you're in an institutionalized environment. And a lot of times when you're in an institutional environment, it also can be a turnoff too. And to be quite overwhelming and a distraction to really accomplishing what you really want to accomplish. So being able to overcome your environment in life isn't always in a glass tube. You have to be out there in the real world and be able to pivot to the different variables that can bump in the way. And that's what you've done. You had a fascination with computers and with, I, I think, every angle of dealing with computers and programming. And then you found out when you worked in a store trying to sell customers that, you found also that being personable and getting out of your shell and trying to explain what you know about computers and being able to share that with other people, it lit a flame. And you don't have to go to college to learn. Reading books and now commenting on books, you're learning and sharing your insight to your experiences and the experiences of other people. And that's how you build your wisdom rating. And that's what you hopefully can do your whole life. You never stop learning and you never stop experiencing and you never stop participating. And as long as you stay in motion and do all those things, you'll continue to move in a forward direction and your wisdom rating will go up. 
And uh, not only do I believe that, that's been a large part of my own life of experiencing and being involved with so many people and listening to people from different generations. I've really been able to have wonderful mentorship and can tell the difference. I liked your example about the chess because I also play a little chess. I got up to maybe expert rating, but at times I've certainly played a masterful chess as well. Sometimes didn't play so good. But the fact is, is that you mentioned that if you wanted to get a little bit better and you're a C player, playing with an A player is a step in the right direction. What really got me going was getting lessons from a Greg Kadenoff, one of these super grandmasters, and Zinzi Kashvili made me play way over my head because I was getting advice and camaraderieship and mentorship from guys that were rated 2,700. And it made me play sometimes at an unbelievable level after getting that type of inspiration. And I think that's the same thing that we all would love to experience is to be part of a group of people that really excel in a particular area that we're passionate about. We're going to excel. That's what your commentary is about as well, is where you have a passion of reading other people's work and being able to add two cents to it makes it sometimes a better story. And that's what we try to do on the Better Call Daddy show is not only project our opinion, hopefully a a helpful insight to where you've come from and where you're going. And it helps us also mature and gain a lot of wisdom points too. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Better Call Daddy Show, please feel free to review it at ratethispodcast.com slash bettercalldaddy. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. 